Well, good morning. Is it still morning? It's still morning. <laughs> well, it's great to be here. Uh, like uh, Pastor said this morning, this is a coveted church for missionaries uh, to be at. We appreciate your hospitality and your welcomingness. And uh, we've never been here before, but we've only heard, heard good things. Um, so also, we've never really been to a church that knows so much about Papua New Guinea before, but this is great. <laughs> Uh, it's great that you're here on faith, that we're here on faith promise. Um, you'll be relieved to know that uh, I won't be talking about construction stuff this morning. Uh, I want to talk about people. I want to, talk to tell some stories about people, because that's what faith promise is about. That's what it boils down to, is people. It's reaching people for Jesus, because that's what our ministry is. We get to build stuff, and we get to do a lot of big, showy things, maybe with some big dollars, but it comes down to reaching people for Jesus. Uh, a little over a year ago, uh, we had a retreat for our big construction project. Right now, we have uh, several buildings that are expanding the hospital, and um, that allows us to employ a little over 100 workers at a time. Uh, and so it's a wonderful ministry that we're able to have within that. We're able to provide the facilities and the tools and everything that the hospital needs to do its ministry, but at the same time, we're going to do another one, another ministry uh, with these over 100, usually young men uh, who come from pretty rough lifestyles, pretty rough homes, uh, who mostly don't know Jesus. So most of the young guys, uh, they're local guys right around the hospital. They walk to work every day. Um, and we do a devotion every morning before work where we talk for five, ten minutes, sing some songs and pray and do as much discipling um, there. But <clears throat> a little over a year ago, we had a retreat where we had three days, a long weekend, where we all went out to a little camp in the jungle, uh, just some little cabins, and we ate together and we worshiped together and we prayed together. Uh, and at the end of that retreat, on the last day, the last service, we ended with uh, a revival, I mean, a revival. Uh, there were 107 workers there. Uh, 91 of them came up to the altar to pray. Uh, and not just walked up to the altar. I mean, some of them were literally running up as fast as they could uh, before we, before we were missionaries and we went to Papua New Guinea, I worked uh, a couple construction jobs here in the U.S. And never could I have ever imagined being in a room full of construction workers who were on their knees crying out to God, whose eyes were full of tears, who were asking Jesus to come into their life. And 43 of those 91 guys that were making a first-time commitment. We praise God for that. I think of uh, a man named Alfred, he's about my age, um, kneeling, praying at the end of that retreat. Alfred's life was controlled by an addiction to marijuana. Uh, it controlled everything he did. Everything that he was doing was to get his next fix. Uh, Alfred worked with us for many years and we had actually uh, fired him several times for smoking marijuana on the job site. Um, but we kept bringing him back. We kept believing in Alfred, and he's there on his knees, crying, giving his life to Christ. And over a year later, I'm happy to say that Alfred's still free from that addiction, 
still serving in his church and still loving the Lord. I think of another young man, about 25, Robin, uh, kneeling and praying. Uh, Robin later had said that he had done maybe a dozen uh, other altar calls where he'd come up and he'd kneeled and he'd prayed and he'd said the right words. Uh, But this time was different. This time was the first time that he felt something in his heart, felt God calling him for something different. Before this experience, Robert, uh, I'm sorry, Robin, every day would come home from work and beat his wife, which is all too common for young men in Papua New Guinea, just filled with anger uh, and some sort of hate. And he's there crying, giving his life to Christ. Uh, And Robin did a 180 with his life, gave his life to Jesus. We connected him with a uh, a pastor in his village, and he attends there. And uh, just a couple weeks after our retreat was over, Robin's wife found me. She stopped me on the road and started telling me this story about her husband, about how he seemed to be a completely different person. Uh, And that made her so curious that she wanted to know what could possibly make somebody do that. What could change somebody like that? And so she started going to church with Robin, and she too, she gave her life to Christ. And we praise God for a family, a whole family saved by God's grace. I think of Robert kneeling and praying as well. Uh, Robert's first time ever doing something like that. Uh, I know Robert pretty well. Uh, Robert's struggles with an addiction to alcohol. Um, It's almost ruined his life several times. Every two weeks our workers get paid and uh, he would take his paycheck every week and uh, really drink it away, spend that Friday to Sunday completely drunk. Um, He was a mean drunk and that got him into lots of trouble. Uh, But we believed in Robert and we knew God had something for him in his life and Robert said kneeling and praying and Robert gave his life to Christ, and he's not free of his addiction. He, he, he wants to be, he still loves Jesus, and he still struggles. And so we pray for guys like Robert. We pray that God would still work in his life. We pray for all those 91 guys that uh, have given their life to Christ or recommitted their life to Christ, uh, and that, that he would strengthen them and be with them um, in project management, as we build stuff or do anything like that, we try to think ahead and think of uh, any problem that we might have, any risk there might be in the project. Uh, and we never really foresaw having to deal with uh, withdrawal. We were dealing with almost half of our crew, uh, or half of our workers, uh, dealing with some sort of withdrawal issue. Um, it was an amazing time of celebration, but also a, a big challenge to be able to celebrate with everybody in this new life that everyone had found and to be able to, at the same time, counsel and pray with and uh, be with those who were struggling with uh, their bodies breaking down because they were so addicted to whatever substance. Uh, we had, on each site, we had special places with little shades set up and were all the workers who were just sweating and they had their uh, sweatshirts on with their hoods up and huddled together and talking together and supporting each other and praying 
We would have our chaplains come and pray with them. And it was an awesome yet challenging time. Last guy I want to talk about is, um, his name's Willie. Uh, Willie's a great example of kind of a point we want to make this morning and that uh, God calls us all to do ministry in different ways. Uh, maybe not as a pastor, maybe not as a uh, church planter or a Bible translator or whatever, but God calls us all in different ways. Willie uh, came to us in 2012, uh, was working on our hydroelectric project where we built a new power plant for the hospital and the station. Um, Willie um, came from about as broken of a home as, as you can. Uh, Willie had three brothers. He was, he was one of four brothers. And Willie's, just before he came to us, his father passed away. Um, and the oldest of the brothers wasn't really happy with the way the father had divvied up the, the, the land that the boys would inherit. And so the oldest of the brothers brutally murdered uh, the other two. And Willie was the only one left. And so Willie fled and eventually made peace with his brother just by giving up his inheritance and giving up his land uh, and was able to make peace with his brother. Willie came to us broken. He came to us with nothing. He came to us looking for something. And he was eager and willing to learn. Uh, And he learned lots of new skills. Uh, Willie eventually became one of our foremen uh, for one of our larger crews, uh, one of our larger construction crews. But even more important than learning new skills or getting a foreman job or whatever is that he found Jesus. Uh, Through our discipleship programs and through our morning devotions, God found Willie and Willie found God. Uh, And so Willie thought, well, now that I'm a Christian, what do good Christians do? They become pastors, right? So Willie thought, all right, I'll become a pastor. That's what I'm supposed to do. I got to pay for Bible college. So he keeps working for a little bit, thinking I'll save up some money and pay for Bible college. But while Willie was doing that, while Willie was saving up his money, uh, God started to call him to something else. Started calling him to do really exactly what he was doing, to continue working as a carpenter, as a foreman, working shoulder to shoulder with a lot of young men who really need Jesus uh, learned that it was a wonderful way to develop a relationship with somebody, to ask them how their life's going, ask them if they know, ask them if they know Jesus, ask them if they want to pray together, ask them if they just want to talk. Willie started a couple of Bible studies in his own village, and he regularly leads devotions, and it's it's a wonderful it's a wonderful example of what missions of what God's mission is, is that we're there discipling and teaching, and so is Willie, and so is he. And so if you're a part of this church, if you're a part of the Church of the Nazarene, if you've given to faith promise before, if you're giving to faith promise this year, you're a part of all this. You're a part of these stories. You're a part of Alfred coming to know Jesus. You're part of Alfred defeating the addiction of marijuana in his, yellow, in, in, in his life. You're part of Willie, and you're part of Willie's ministry, building and working and discipling with all those others. Thanks.
We love Faith Promise because uh, it's just a time, I feel like, to celebrate what God has done through his body of believers, through you guys who are here, through your prayers. People's lives are being changed around the world through his people, through God's working, through people's giving, through their prayers. Um, and we just want to say thank you to you for being a part of that, for crying out to God for the country of Papua New Guinea, for crying out to God for his people all over the world. And Faith Promise is about looking forward and about giving into the future, but also celebrating what God has been doing with what you've given in the past as well. And God's doing amazing things all over the world. And it's so neat, I think, to be a body of people together who are all a part of that. And we want to praise God for what he's doing and for allowing us to come together, doing different parts. I know that you guys aren't in Papua New Guinea getting to see all these things, but I hope and it's our prayer that you understand that you are a part of that and that you are a part of lives being changed. And just thank you so much for your giving and your praying and your supporting. It just means so much to us. The hospital wouldn't be able to be in Papua New Guinea without the World Evangelism Fund, without your giving, without the church. We wouldn't be able to be in Papua New Guinea without the church, without the giving, without the Nazarene denomination. So thank you for allowing us to serve, and thank you for giving and allowing others to serve as well. Um, I'd like to look at John chapter 4 this morning. John chapter 4 is the story of the woman at the well where Jesus meets the woman at the well and shockingly he talks to her because she's a woman and she's, a, a Samaria, uh, she's from Samaria and he tells her about how she is looking for water but he has water that can give her life that will be eternal. And uh, she's a little confused but eventually she kind of gets it. So we're going to start in verse 25, where it says, The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then the disciples came back, and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jug and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. And then down in verse 39, it said, Many Samaritans from the town believed him because of the woman's testimony. Now hold that in your brain for a little bit. I'd like to share with you just really quickly kind of our, our call, our story, how we got to Papua New Guinea. We, uh, right out of college, we got married, and um, I was working for a couple years. I'm a high school math teacher. Jordan had worked several construction projects and was working for a hardware store. And we thought, you know what, now's a really convenient time for us to go do some short-term missions for a while. Like, we don't have a house yet. We don't have any kids. We didn't have, like, a dog or anything. So we're like, hey, now, now would be a great time to go serve for a little bit, and then we'll come back, and then, you know, we'll 
we'll do all the like buy the house and then start the family and that was the plan um so we went to Papua New Guinea for a year I taught in their missionary kids high school Jordan helped them finish up the hospital that they're currently using right now and uh that year went really well so we were like hey we could do one more like really convenient time uh my parents were like oh my goodness you're leaving for two years (laughs) that was 10 years ago (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a really long time to be gone. So we were there for two years. That went really great. While we were there, we just fell in love with the people of Papua New Guinea, with the relation, like the relationships that we had built had been amazing. The Papua New Guineans to be able to worship with them and pray with them and disciple and minister just blessed our lives in an incredible way. The missionaries that we met just rocked our world with how they showed us what it meant to just serve and pour out your life and our lives were changed from being there but after two years we i i (laughs) was done that was the plan and that was great and i felt like okay that this is what we signed up for now it's time to go i loved i loved it but i had things to do and plans to attend to Um, So I started interviewing for jobs here in the States. I was looking for apartments. They had found a teacher for the high school in Kujip, so I wasn't worried about, you know, leaving the school there. Um, And I was was ready to head back. And it was at that exact same time that a position opened up as the maintenance supervisor. And the job was just fit perfectly for Jordan and his skills. And what he, what he could do, and he knew it, and I knew it, and he asked me to pray about whether or not this could be something for us. Because him asking me to pray if he could serve in this way meant that we would be staying for longer. Meant that we were now committing to be long-term missionaries. We were, we would be committing to stay for years and years as he set up his programs and his systems and and the things that he needed to get in place. This was not another let's extend it a year. This was a a long-term commitment that he was asking me if I would pray about making. And so I prayed, God, that's you don't want us to be missionaries. I mean, going to serve short-term, that was one thing, but to be a missionary? (laughs) No, I said, God, you know, that's, that was never on the radar. That was never in the plans. Could you maybe let Jordan know? <laughs> that, that would be great. If you could just tell him, you know, let's move on. But as I prayed, I, I just, like I knew, I knew this is what God was asking for us to do. And I knew this is the door that he'd opened. And I knew that he wanted us to walk through it. And And I wish that my story from there went that I saw God opening the door and I said, amen and hallelujah, Lord, I'm walking through that door. I wish that I had broke out into a chorus of where you go, I'll go. Just, you know, I will follow you. I wish that was my story. But but it wasn't. I said no. I said that wasn't the plan. 
This is really far from my family. I'm just a teacher. He's just a carpenter. Those, those aren't the types of people who become long-term missionaries. I said no. I never really felt too much like I related real well to the, the story of the woman at the well till I read verse 28. Did you guys catch that when I read it? Verse 28 said, So the woman left her water jar and went into town to tell people about Jesus. She left her water jar, which I think might have been kind of important based on our biological need for water. <laughs> she left it. I don't, I don't know why she left it. It doesn't say why she left it. But I think it might have gotten maybe a little bit too heavy. Or at least we now know that what she had thought was very important, this water that gave her life, after she met Jesus, it now wasn't as important. She didn't have to take it with her because she had something more important to tell people about. She had met the Son of God, and now her water jar wasn't as important. When God asked me to serve him in Papua New Guinea, oh, I clung to my water jar. All those things I thought were so important. I hung on to it, and man, I thought maybe I could like drag it along with me. It was heavy. I had a whole Target store in my water jar. <laughs> I was trying to carry that puppy around with me. I had all of my plans for my life in my water jar. All of them. Everything I thought was important. Everything I, I wanted was in there. All of my excuses and all of my labels that I had of what a missionary was or was not, what I, the types of people I thought were allowed to like go tell people about Jesus and who was not, all of my fears were in that water jar. We live and work at a hospital. And let me tell you, the stories of the patients who come to the hospital are amazing. Lives are being changed because of the ministry of this hospital. And I'm sure you guys know a lot of people from Papua New Guinea. And I'm sure you've heard those stories that the doctors have because they're there with their patients. And I wanted to cling to the part of my water jar that said, but I don't have a ministry like that. He is, is a builder and a construction worker. Those aren't the people who have these amazing stories of people coming to faith. Eventually, though, when you're holding your water jar and it's really heavy and you know God is calling you over there and you can't do both, eventually I had to put it down and go and say yes and say, God, this ordinary teacher and this ordinary carpenter, we are willing to put down 
whatever it is that we thought was important before, you can have all of us. We'll go where you want us to go, and we will serve where you want us to serve. And God, if you can use us, these ordinary people, in some way to bring honor and glory to yourself, then do it. God has shown us that while it's awesome to be a support for the hospital, that there are also people that he has put right in front of us that need to hear about Jesus too. So we put down our water jar, said we'll go tell people about Jesus. And through that, we've gotten to see other people like Willie, who in his water jar was, oh, now I have to go be a pastor. Put that down and say, you know what? I can serve as a foreman on this crew and tell these guys who I'm working right next to about Jesus. In Alfred's jar, I'm pretty sure he had a bunch of marijuana. <laughs> he was able to put that down and go. He now has amazing testimony of what Christ has done in his life. He was willing to put it down and go tell people about Jesus. These 92 guys have put down their water jars and are now ministering on a construction site at a hospital in Kujit, Papua New Guinea. How awesome is that? I don't know what's in your water jar. Fear? Your own plans? Your excuses of, of maybe you don't feel like you can talk to people about Jesus because you're not a pastor? Or maybe God's calling you to be a pastor and you say, that's not for me. I don't know what's in your water jar. I don't know what you're trying to carry around, but put it down. I know it's hard and I know it's scary. I've been there. I've tried to carry mine along with me. I, I know, I know. But there's so much freedom in putting it down to go tell people about Jesus. I know it's scary sometimes to turn and just say, hey, do you know Jesus? I know, I get it, I'm super awkward. I understand the fear there. But I would just encourage you to do it on this Faith Promise Sunday where we get to celebrate what God is doing around the world through giving and sharing Put down what you feel is important and be a part of the ministry of God. That's our encouragement and our prayer for you guys today is that you'll join us with that. I understand it's hard. I understand it's scary. But you can do it. It's worth it. Absolutely worth it. If God can use an ordinary teacher turned mom ordinary carpenter, dad, then none of y'all are safe. <laughs> God can use anybody for his glory. God can take ordinary and turn it into extraordinary for his glory and for his praise. Thank you so much for having us this morning. You guys are great.
There are two reasons that we have Faith Promise Sunday, and I'll talk about the second one in just a second. <clears throat> but one of those reasons is that um, you would be able to hear um, ordinary folks that somehow God has called um, into uh, his work and his mission. And God calls some people to be short-term missionaries. God calls some people to be full-term missionaries. But God calls all of us to be on mission in our life. Um, I take a, a monthly magazine that comes from the Southern Baptist Church. And I take it just because I like, like the title one day. And I said, I'm going to subscribe to it and see if it's worth $15 a year. But the title of that is On Mission. That's a really good title for a magazine that's talking about Christians. And as Christians, we, a few of us, a small, small slice of us are on mission in a full-time way, whether that would be like something I do or something the Thompsons do. There are, there's another small slice of us that, that are on mission in, in a um, temporary two-year type of way, like Rachel was talking about. There are some of us that have been on, on mission and what have we gone on eight mission trips in the last, I think, five years from this church and, and that we're on mission in a week, two week type of way and that's really good. But all of us are called to be on mission in our lives as Christians and that can mean a whole myriad of things. It, it may mean something that would involve you to go help out the the toddler nursery that has 17 toddlers in it right now. I don't know. It, it, it may be to go to your, your uh, next door neighbor that is, needs some assistance or needs some help. God will do that for you. I don't have to tell you what that may be. I just want to tell you that as Christians, we're people that are on mission. And we go to work and we live our lives and it's not just going to work and not just living our lives or going to the soccer field or whatever it may be uh, we can literally be on mission in our lives and 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 I don't know if you've ever thought of it that way or not but I think that's a great reason that we have faith promise to uh, remind you through missionaries that God has called in a in a bigger way than he'll call most of us but still a way that they can contribute even though they're only a teacher and only a carpenter. Um, I want to say something about the only a teacher and only a carpenter. Without the Jordan and Rachel Thompsons of the world, you couldn't have the Nazarene Hospital in, in Kujib. Somebody, the doctors are going to mess it up if they try to build stuff, you know. <laughs> and something goes wrong and they don't know what to do about it. And there is no Nazarene hospital in Kujip um, without some people taking care of maintenance stuff, without some people making sure things are repaired and making sure that the electricity stays on in the operating room and all of the myriad of things that go on with a job like Jordan has as a ma uh, maintenance supervisor, making sure water gets up there. I remember they took us down to the water plant and showed us all of that. And I, you know, most of us, 99% of the people in the world have zero knowledge of how that operates. Somebody's got to know that, or there's not going to be a Nazarene hospital that, that runs as well as ours does. So we just appreciate the skills of all the people that God calls into ministry, and he needs all of us, whether you have skills that you think are really 
ministry worthy, whatever that means or not, or whether you have skills that seem to be more secular, like a teacher and like a carpenter. I, I, I just hope your hearts are open to God um, talking to you about being on mission. Faith Promise Sunday is the Sunday once a year that we have where we um, take pledges for our um, to support Nazarene missions all around the world. You've got a little leaflet in front of you. It's yellow in color. It's inside of a, a white kind of thing that gives you some information about the Thompsons and gives you the budget that we have for missions. And you, you'll see in most of that budget, like 60 or 61,000 of that $80,000 budget goes to the World Evangelism Fund. And, and that means that we send that money to Kansas City, which is our denominational headquarters, and they disperse it to over 160 world areas not only to Papua New Guinea, but over 160 world areas where the Church of the Nazarene has ministry. Several of those world areas are so sensitive and so dangerous, we can't even tell you that we have work in those areas. And so that's how mission work in the Church of the Nazarene is supported through what we understand to be the World Evangelism Fund. And we raise that money, or at least the senior portion of that, that we commit to pay through a Faith Promise Sunday. You've got that little yellow sheet of paper in front of you, which is uh, a pledge that you would make by faith that over the next 52 weeks, over the next year, that you would give X amount of dollars, okay? Now here, I want everybody to relax. I'm not asking anyone today. You, you can if you choose to. But I'm not asking anyone today, after a little 10-minute speech that I give, to make something as big as a year-long pledge. Uh, you take that home, talk about it with your spouse, and uh, pray over it with your family, and maybe come back next week and put that yellow sheet of paper in. Come back two weeks from now and put that yellow sheet of paper in. And all of those pledges go to um, make up our contribution to the World Evangelism Fund, which will be over $60,000 dollars uh this year some of you uh, you know what faith promise is and you've probably been thinking and you know what you've given in the past and maybe you already know what you want to put down but some of you i know this this sunday is taking you off guard and i don't want to do something as ask you to do something as irresponsible and make a year-long pledge after a 10-minute talk like that i want you to have time to think about it and pray about it and talk about it with your husband or with your wife and then come back and put that in the offering plate drop it off of the office whatever you need to do. And that's a pledge that you make by faith. You may pledge $10 a week. You may make a one-time gift of $500, one-time gift of $1,000, whatever that may be. And that will support. Um, my wife and I make a pledge throughout the year. And I think we divide that into 26 times and we give once every two weeks. And, and we just continue that pledge all the way through the year. Uh, that's important. And I ask that you would consider, uh, that, um, that goes to world missions all the way around the world. There's something else we're going to do that we're going to help the Thompsons today. And it'll be through this box that everybody's familiar with here. About once a month we'll bring this out and there's some kind of compassionate need. There's some kind of need that we want to fill in someone's life or so forth or so on. Some ministry we want to help. But today it's a love offering for the Thompsons. The money that you put in this uh, box here will go to Jordan and Rachel's family to, to help them in just their family expenses that they have as a, a growing family. So this will not go to the general church and be dispersed over 160 areas. All of this will be added up and we'll write one check to the Thompson family. And then they'll, they'll use that 
as they choose to use that, uh, the support that they need to be able to stay on the mission field as a family. So I just want to make that distinction clear. The yellow sheet of paper is a pledge that you're going to make that goes to work all through the Church of Nazarene. I'm going to ask you, as the offering is, is passed, that we'll walk up as we usually do, and everything put in here will go to Jordan and Rachel. If you don't have cash with you that you want to put in here and you want to write a check, it would be made out to the Church of the Nazarene, and then we'll write one check to the Thompson family. Thank you for, thank you for being a church that, and I've heard missionaries say this, thank you for being a church that missionaries love to come to because we always have supported missions. Way long before I ever knew what a Xenia Church of the Nazarene was, we were supporting missions. We have been a generous church, and missionaries love to come here because it's a generous church, and we appreciate your generosity, and we appreciate you um, concerned about missions all the way around the world. If our ushers can be able to take their spots, and we'll be ready to receive this morning's... And I, I say this little churchy thing, and I say it every single Sunday, and, I, and, you know, I've been saying it for 26 years now, or however many years I've been a pastor, and I wondered many times how many, I say it so quickly, if, do people really know what I'm talking about? I say tithes and offerings. And I think we talk about what the tithe is, and we talk about that God asked us to, to lay aside a tenth uh, to bring into his storehouse. But when we say tithes and offerings, uh, what we're doing with offerings, that's over and above our tithe. And that's kind of the faith promise stuff, and that's the love offering stuff, and that's the, when we're helping a family that needs electric bill paid, and that, that kind of money. The tithe goes for operation of the church and make sure our ministries can continue. The offerings go for all those special things that we try to do. So thank you for the continued giving of God's tithe and your offering. We appreciate your generosity so much. Can we call everyone to the front, please? God, we thank you that... Um, uh, for your generosity toward us. Uh, we thank you for your grace that we sung about. Uh, you are a giving God, and um, you're trying to teach me to be a giving person. Um, yes, of my time and effort, but also of my financial resources. I thank you uh, that you taught me a lesson a long time ago that I've bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that you would throw out so much blessing upon me that I won't have room enough for it. I thank you when that lesson finally got through my hard head. I pray for those that you're teaching that right now. I pray for those who are learning to take you at your word or learning to lean hard on you and trust you in that area of your life. So take all these that we call tithes and offerings. Would you use them to further your kingdom right here in Xenia? but in faraway places like Papua New Guinea as well. In Jesus' name, amen.